0: Welcome to Outside the Music Box, I'm Chloe Prendergast and I'm Emma Williams, we're so glad you've joined us today. We're both
1: violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast in our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Each episode we explore a different piece of music through the eyes of
0: a guest musician. Today's guest is mezzo-soprano Lottie Bettsdeen, who I've known since I was 11. We grew up singing together in Gondwana Voices, Australia's National Children's Choir, and apart from being great gal pals, we also love working together whenever we get the chance. Today, she's brought in a few different pieces that have been important to her life as a musician.
1: We do our best to define the relevant music-y terms throughout the chat, but because this is our world and we're human, there might be things that we miss, so please let us know what these are and we will be sure to
0: clarify them in future episodes. And don't worry about trying to remember the pieces and recordings we talk about. They are in the show notes along with a link to a Spotify playlist so you can go back and listen to all the pieces from this podcast yourself. Thanks for joining us and enjoy our chat with Lottie. Black, black, black is the colour of my two these lips or something
1: rosy fair, the sweetest smile,
0: and
2: the kindest hair. Hello? Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Is this working?
1: I think so. It's
2: so
0: working. such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, Now on this podcast we actually get our guests to introduce themselves, so do you mind introducing yourself for everyone?
2: Of course, I'm Lottie Betstein, I'm an Australian mezzo-soprano, I'm based in London, I've been here for about six years and I sing all sorts of different kinds of music. Um, I love singing contemporary music, early music, chamber music uh, non-classical stuff a bit of opera lots of art song recital I like to keep it really varied and uh, yeah enjoy all different kinds of music so yeah that's what I that's what I do and I'm very very lucky to be able to uh, yeah to be able to do lots of different things all the time
1: yeah and why why did you originally? to London? How'd that happen?
2: Uh, I came here to complete a master's uh, at the Royal Academy of Music. So yeah, moved over in 2014. I'd been freelancing for a couple of years already after graduating from the Melbourne Conservatorium um, where I did my undergraduate degree and realized I wanted to Get out of Australia, kind of, um, and also keep learning. Uh, as as amazing as Australia is, and uh, don't get me wrong, there's a wonderful music scene there, and um, and I go back at least once a year uh, for various projects. Um, but I, you know, I did feel a pull to to uh, Europe. I also considered the states to study, um, but yeah, luckily got got a scholarship at the Royal Academy and um, and decided to move to London. Also, partly that decision was made by the fact that I have a very beloved little sister who uh, lives in the UK and she was living in Cambridge um, at the time. So I I wanted to be closer to her because we had lived on other sides of the world for a few years. So I missed her a lot. Emma is very good friends with her as well. (laughs) And so you you understand that. (laughs) I really understand.
1: And you've brought a few pieces today to talk about. Do you uh, know
2: which one you want to start with? Oh, wow. Um, why don't we start with the Barrio Folk Songs? Great. It's the most substantial of, of the songs that I've chosen. Um, and, yeah, it's one of my favourite pieces to perform. So when did you first um, hear them or sing them, or where did that start for you, your journey with, with Berio? Well, uh, I'd heard them. I remember hearing them it, during my undergraduate degree, and um, just falling in love with them. I think it must have been twenty ten. I think even my first year of undergrad, and I uh, I found them on a CD and just absolutely loved them. But they are scored for you know quite a few musicians. It's a it's sort of a, a, an ensemble of musicians. So not the kind of piece that you can just pull together um, as an undergrad student with your friends sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of one of those, like, I, I immediately put it in my sort of bucket list of music. Do you have that? Do you have that as well? You know, those like pieces where, yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> where you're like oh, one day, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it just shot to the top of that list. And, um, and then luckily I, an opportunity did arise. I think it was in, 2013 uh to perform the full set of songs with um an ensemble made up of staff members at annan the australian national academy of music and um and the ensemble also included my uncle playing the clarinet um paul ah. he's a clarinetist and uh, so that was a really special, a special memory. And I finally got to got to sing them for the first time. And since that first performance, uh, I've revisited them a couple of times in London and then, uh, and most recently in Brisbane, um with mm. my uncle again uh, his new ensemble <laughs> he has a new ensemble based in Brisbane called Ensemble Q and um and we recorded that performance that was last May and it's actually going to be coming out on a CD as well so it's been a really interesting it's been one of those pieces that sort of has like accompanied me on my career thus far from the beginning to to now so yeah it's a wonderful piece.
1: You'll hear more about this later, but for some background, Luciano Berrio was an Italian 20th century composer who wrote this set of 11 songs for voice and small ensemble in 1964 called Folk Songs. Berrio used folk or folk-like songs from all over the world in different languages, though two of them were actually composed by him. He wrote this collection of pieces for his wife at the time, Kathy Berberian, who premiered many of his works. And do you remember what stuck out to you when you first heard it? Like, why did it shoot to the top of that bucket list?
2: Well, I mean, to, the, the opening is incredibly enigmatic and beautiful, and I just couldn't get that opening of the piece out of my mind. It starts with this really beautiful viola solo, and Berio instructed the viola player to sort of play it like a wistful country fiddler, and it, it really has that kind of, It takes you somewhere else immediately. And then, um, and then the voice comes in at the bottom of the range, so really singing very low um, for the for the mezzo voice. Uh, and it's it's an American song, an American, not actually a folk song. The first one, the first two songs are actually not folk songs. They were compositions by this composer called John Jacob Niles that then Barrio arranged. And uh, it's a beautiful song called "Black Is the Color of My True Love's Hair," and it just. Uh, it just starts with viola and voice. And the viola is a special instrument anyway. It means a lot to me. My father is a viola player and I grew up with the sound of the viola all the time. So I think that the, the opening of that piece in itself just is, you know, very emotional for, for me. It sort of elicits that sort of emotional personal connection and reaction. And then the words of the song are just so moving as well. Um so I think that it really is. It's the beginning of a piece that that first got me. But then, in getting to know it and performing it, it's such a varied piece. It's a it's a collection of of arrangements of folk music from all around the world, and uh, it yeah it goes to all different interesting places and plays with different languages, and uh, textures, colors within the ensemble. How they communicate with the voice—it's a really, uh, really varied and fascinating work. Uh, so, mm. yeah, I think that's what sort of grabbed me about it was that variety that's al- already inherent within the piece because Berio collected these songs from from all around the world, from different times, and then put his own spin on it. And it's incredibly accessible as well. You know, they're, yeah. all of the tunes are. You can sing along, you know it's this <laughs> when, maybe when you think Berrio, you you associate that with Berio being being a, um, a, a, this Italian composer Luciano Berrio, who was composing in the first half of the 20th century and he wrote a lot of quite, uh, quite challenging music, quite unusual, very modernistic and avant-garde kind of music. Um, one of his most famous pieces was the set of sequenzas these pieces that he wrote for solo instruments and there's one for voice as well and it is absolutely mad I mean it is just like an array of crazy vocal sounds and um, Mm. so he's kind of to some extent associated with that very modern way of composing in the 20th century and yet this piece which was I think written in 1964 and it was just actually totally not that at all like it was it was very simple comparatively. It was going back to folk music and uh, just a collection of lovely tunes. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> there's also a lot of sense of humour in them too, which which is really attractive. And uh, like one of them is called Balot, um, which actually he wrote. That That is one of the exceptions. It's not a folk song. He he did write that song and it sort of um, – the, the voice has to sort of speak very, very quickly, this, this word, over and over, sort of bala, 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 and that in itself is sort of like a fun challenge, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, you must do like tongue warm-ups or something before you sing, right? Or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean actually um I think in the score it it's 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 actually not ballo even though the song is called balo. Um it's called it well the the way that you sing it is la 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 like just la repeated. But that is really hard. Like not everyone can can actually do that. That just the the speed uh, moving your tongue that quickly yeah. it really is a, a very challenging so a lot of singers uh, a lot of singers opt to to sing the word "balo" instead because it just changes it just makes it easier to, to get it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cheat to be to be fair it's a bit of a cheat but um yeah <laughs> do you know it the proper way though i well it depends on how fast the ensemble wants to go honestly oh yeah I have done both. Um, yeah, I have done. I have done both. But uh, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly a challenge. You can yeah, you really need to like practice that. It's. <laughs> one of those weird sort of extended techniques for singers i guess
0: yeah and um you're talking about how he sort of got folk tunes from um all over the place the last Mm. piece um from the the cycle that you brought um is the azerbaijan love song um we were reading up about this and it it has an amazing kind of story like he um the so his wife maybe not at the time but the the singer who these were written for, I think, right? Um Kathy
2: Barbarian. Yeah. yeah.
0: She found them on a an, an LP from the like Azerbaijan Soviet, you know Soviet Socialist Republic. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah she found a record. Yeah. And the it was all in Azerbaijani and then the last um verse is in Russian and it compares love to a stove.
2: That, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> It's quite nonsensical. <laughs> Kathy Bavarian, this wonderful singer, who was married to the composer Berio um, at the time of it, or I think their marriage was sort of ending at the time um, that the piece was written. But um, but yeah, she heard this this recording of Azerbaijani. Didn't speak a word of it, uh, although she, she's originally Armenian. From her family history is Armenian, but but no Azerbaijani, and she just learned it by rote. Um, just by ear, sort of copied copied the sounds and then wrote out the sounds. So when you look at the score, it's not written in Azerbaijani. It's written in someone hearing Azerbaijani and then writing it out as it sounds. So it's quite comical in that sense as well because it's, yeah. not, it's not written in a language. And that is a really funny song. That is a really, really funny song. The last section of the piece, the last few sort of bars for the singer are not even sung. You have to do this really comic, sort of half-speaking cartoon voice, um, which is just (laughs) a really hilarious way to finish any piece. And then you're done. Yeah. And then you're done, yeah. (laughs) And Yeah, it, it's just such a great piece. It goes to so many different emotional places as well. I mean, you have this really quite comical, nonsensical, uh, oddly sort of aggressive final Azerbaijani, apparently a love song, but it's not at all. But um, <laughs> then you also have some really moving moments as well. You've got this Sardinian song before that, uh, which is absolutely devastating called Motetto di Tristura which is in a uh, a dialect as well it's in the Sardinian dialect um, and the textures in the in the ensemble in that one are just so moving and other songs that are just you know just pull your heart out.
1: Yeah. And for the Azerbaijani song, since she tr- like transcribed it by rote, has has somebody gone back through and like redone it in a way that's like actual Azerbaijani? I'm sure they have, yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. Okay. But that's what the score is. It does make it easier, in a sense, because if you're just reading Azerbaijani, you might not know how to then pronounce certain words, whereas this sort of phoneticized version makes it plainly clear. Um but, yeah, I'm sure that's been done, but i I like kathy Cathy's version. I like her. I like that there's also this little stamp of the singer who first performed it, for whom they were written as well, so she was a an iconic singer, an iconic artist um of that time, and sort of became very famous for making well for making the first performance premieres and also recordings of very complicated and avant-garde uh, contemporary vocal music like the sequenza by Berio uh, that is just an absolute minefield of vocal sounds. It's just bizarre and, and very, very virtuosic. And uh, she also wrote her own pieces as well, uh, including a, a vocal piece called Stripsody, which is uh, it's not written with music it's not it I don't know if you know if you've seen the score but it's a graphic score so it's literally drawings of the things that you you're meant to imitate um wow yeah. and like very onomatopoeic writing of music so yeah I mean I'm, I can't think of an example right now but well for example like um woof but it's like written like it's a dog you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you have to just sound like a dog uh, so yeah. yeah it's it's quite it's quite comical actually so yeah that's Kathy Barbarian. have you performed that as well no I haven't I'd love to one day I'd love to one day yeah yeah one day. add it to the list here's the
0: start of strip city by Kathy Bavarian performed by Barbarian herself there's actually a video on YouTube, which we've linked in the show notes, of her performing this piece with the graphics of the score popping up throughout the video. It's a great video to watch because you can really see how the score is literally drawings of figures and words instead of notes, and how from these, Barbarian creates these weird and wonderful sounds. Yeah, blum. Blah.
2: Boing.
1: You stupid type, come down out of that
0: tree. Um and with the shore piece it's, it's kind of in a way it's quite similar to the Berio in that um, there are parts of it um, that the singer is sort of singing relatively simple melodies. And then you've got these like really interesting textures of um, uh, the the ensemble underneath. Um, is that kind of why you brought them both together, or it, or is it just because yes. you love them
2: both? Yeah. Well, I, I love them both. Um, but yes, I think there's, I think there's a similarity between them. And when you hear the Caroline Shaw piece, it all it sounds like a folk song, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that. It sort of when I was thinking about the Berrio, it reminded me also of the Caroline Shaw as a piece to to bring up at the same time because you have here a, an even newer composer. Uh, she was born in 1982, um, and she she's written a, a piece as if it were an ancient folk song, like the ones that Berrio used in his folk songs, uh, and she's she's really found that sound in a way. Um, uh, but it is totally composed. And again, there's also, there are two songs in the Berio folk songs that were written by Berio, um, that were not folk songs and two song the first two songs in the Berio folk songs, which were American songs that were written by this composer Niles. So I just find that sort of relationship really interesting between actual folk music and folk music that was composed, but then, sounds like folk music and why that is. And then what is folk music? Yeah, right? Exactly. Like like honestly, really. Like what well, yeah, folk music is being written every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I actually heard I think I
1: it was Pete Seeger who said that folk music is music sung by the people. And yeah. that's like that was his definition of it. Is just music sung by the people.
2: So then there you go. Well folk meaning Pit the people does folk yeah it's exactly, yeah. exactly <laughs> it yeah that's exactly it so whatever you know maybe maybe the folk music of this time is gonna be Dua leaper. <laughs> what, what everyone's singing and listening to becomes that um but it, it is interesting when you have contemporary composers, or in the case of Caroline Shaw, contemporary composers, I wouldn't say vario is contemporary really anymore, no. <laughs> um, but often is still sort of, I guess, 20th century modern, I suppose, um, but you have these composers that are able to also then still distill this ancient sound, this ancient folk sound, but then do something completely modern with it in the way that the, the instruments are sort of written around it. And, yeah, I just I love what I love what Caroline does with with the text and does with the relationship between the string quartet and voice. It's just very beautiful.
0: Mm, yeah, it also has a really compelling start as well, kind of like the barrier in that the the harmonics of the strings that are being yeah. used um, and creating this kind of silvery sound to to start the piece it's yeah it really draws you in and and you feel like you're going on this kind of journey through a magical place or something
2: Totally. That's exactly the yeah. That's the feeling that I got when I first discovered it as well. And the fact that the the, the string quartet has is written in the, in a series of cells, as in a couple of seconds of music that just repeat. Um, and it's more or less in free time. It's up to yeah. It's up to the the vocalist to decide at what point they'd like to start the song, start the words. So it kind of comes really naturally out of this repeated, very sort of gossamer little cell, this gossamer string repeated thing that that goes, you know, over and over again in this, yeah, it starts to sort of draw you in. And then the voice sort of, yeah, begins in its own time. And I, I like that sort of, I like that kind of writing as well when when a composer hands you the reins and say, okay, just in your own time. That's a nice feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And also it'll change
0: depending on the context, the day, what space you're in. That gives you the freedom to actually be in your surrounding and, and decide what's best for that moment, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Sort of really let, let it settle. Let the music settle and wait until that moment is exactly right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really special gift to, to be given by a composer. caroline sure have you no, her? I haven't. No. no i haven't but i'd love to i'd love to but i've been in, i've been in touch with her um she kindly sent me the score for this it's only been performed a couple of times it was uh, commissioned by an sophie von otter this swedish mezzo soprano who is pretty much my idol i mean she's this an artist who i really really look up to as an artist who is absolutely at the top of her game. Uh, an international star um, but one who is kind of really defying convention consistently even in what she wears like when she when she toured this piece around the states uh, with the string quartet Brooklyn Rider with whom uh, she commissioned this piece and a number of other pieces as well uh, she wore like a velvet suit you know just amazing but meanwhile you've got other opera divas uh, doing chamber music concerts in big ball gowns then just standing up looking like opera singers doing something different um, but yeah <laughs> but with Sophie it's that is her that is her it's completely it's completely natural um and I I really admire singers that can or any artists or musicians that can cross those lines those boundaries that we seem to make make up for ourselves yeah that that inspires me a lot so i don't know how we got into that but um how did you discover the piece so uh the the disc that Ansophie von otter and brooklyn Ryder released uh with this piece on it i found through looking for another piece um that was on that same cd in listening to that album, came across this Caroline Shaw and thought, "I mean, you know I have to do this one as well." And I, there are actually some others on that disc that that are also wonderful, and I'd like to do. So, um, yeah, I, I I like to find things that have been commissioned for a specific artist and project, and then further that. You know, there's perhaps you know, artists might not necessarily want to be able to uh, perform that piece. As much as that piece deserves so it's nice to it's nice to find music um that is quite fresh but then hasn't been given as much of a chance to be performed and then introducing it to an audience that definitely wouldn't have heard it before so i think when i first performed it it was only only this year i first performed the caroline shaw um but it i'm i'm fairly certain it would have been the the, the uk premiere of that
1: yeah I mean, actually, that's a really good point that so many new compositions are done one time for one thing. And um, there's so much that can happen with a piece when it gets to really settle either with the same performers or different uh, performers. Like if
2: it gets spread, then... I'd say maybe more so with... with, Yeah. If it, if it goes to other singers and they do different things with it, that's when, yeah, that's when the piece starts to take on a life of its own as well and uh and hearing different recordings of the same the same piece just it's like looking at at an image through you know through different colored lenses and it changes what you see completely and the voice is the voice is such a personal thing as well i mean there is literally no that no two voices sound the same um so yeah, I do. i really appreciated that um, that Caroline sent me the score because it's also that sense of trust, you know, of like, okay, this is this is a new thing, um, but you may you may go, you may be the second artist <laughs> to go, and, and to also just you know, like follow follow in Ann-Sophie von Otter's footsteps for anything um, is just amazing. So yeah, so I was really grateful for that, and and I look forward to performing it more. Yeah, that's really cool. And what's the piece about? Uh, so it's an it's an anonymous uh, troubadour song from the 12th century uh, in France. It's a it's a French song, and uh, and the language is in Old French as well, which is also beautiful language to sing in. Um, and it's a it's a typical what was known as Aubade or a morning song, um, in which there are lovers discreetly meeting um and and then resenting the coming of the next day because it means that they have to separate and uh and it's just it's really beautiful and sad uh, at the same time. It's such a you know universal feeling that like, oh I don't want this to end, you know. Um and the fact that there's this anonymous, beautiful 12th century text uh that has that exact same sentiment that you know we've all experienced in some way or other. Whether that is a just disc- discreet meeting of lovers or something else, it's just that kind of um, strange resentment of something that you're enjoying. you know that it's going to going to finish.
0: Um, how is it uh, working with a string quartet compared to a piano compared to like a bigger
2: ensemble? I love it it's not it's not necessarily that like I love it more or less but I I think there's a real affinity between the voice and string instruments in general. I also grew up playing the cello and I played a lot in string orchestras um, surrounded by those four instruments you know well three instruments. Uh, and, and yeah, that just means a lot to me to, to engage in that way with, with, with an instrument that, uh, that I used to play and that I, I miss to some extent.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
2: how do you, how do you guys find it as violinists working, working with singers? Do you, do you feel that there's also this sense of similarity between the two?
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe Emma can speak to this more, but since she's more of a singer than I am for sure also, but, um, Like, in terms of the relationship between the two of them, I think another thing that makes them really similar is that uh, both of them are sort of... There's no, like, absolute truth of where a note goes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much flexibility. And, I mean, I play in a string quartet, and so that's a thing that we're dealing with all the time that I think is part of what makes it both incredible and also incredibly challenging. So there's, like, complete flexibility in all directions, and then the, the sound you get together when it's good is so homogenous and beautiful. And I think in many ways, because the voice is similar, I think it blends into that really nicely too. Yeah, or yeah. Can. it can, it can, it can,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends on, on the singer, of course, and every voice is different, But um, but the voice has the capacity to really fit within that texture so beautifully. And it's a very satisfying thing, I think, for the singer to feel surrounded by this a string color. That being said, it, it's of course amazing to also be surrounded by an ensemble of other instruments as well, because then you've got so much variety that you can respond to and play with and imitate and all sorts of things. Like, for example, well, like the folk song, uh, the Barrio folk songs, which is scored for um, voice, flute clarinet harp viola cello and percussion so you've got pretty much all the sounds <laughs> um, yeah. like like a, a little representative of each sound that you can have um uh, minus brass perhaps uh but uh yeah so that that is exciting as well you know because then you've got a whole you know color palette open to you that you can respond to but uh yeah with a string quartet it's like a hug you Yeah. Know?
0: Yeah. yeah I guess the other thing I mean yeah from the player's perspective and also knowing a bit about singing um whenever I am working with singers or trying to think like a singer when I'm playing I just feel like another bit of my brain opens um and wow. act like it yeah it literally opens my brain more because that's I
2: think that's the best thing I've ever heard yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, because I mean singing is the most natural thing for anyone to do and it's where music comes from, right? Like that's the start of how we communicate and it, it comes from the way, yeah, we communicate with like rhetoric and oratory and, and all that sort of stuff and, and communicating any sort of emotion or or argument. And when we're trying to do that as instruments or trying to be compatible with a singer when you're working with them it just means that you're you're not so much in your kind of like little box of well I have to do this technical shit on my instrument it's just like oh wait no there's a singer singing stuff like there's this just makes just so much more sense because and and also because there isn't I just feel like there's not so much of a box holding singers into a particular way of doing things Mm. that because you're just you have to be so in touch with your whole body and it's all just coming out of your individual body rather than just like I'm going to make these sounds from these bits of wood and and strings and things then (laughs) thinking like that helps you get out get out of that kind of
2: that's such a nice way of thinking about
0: it Mm.
1: Yeah, it's really true. Because also, often, I mean, in string quartet rehearsal, but in any kind of rehearsal, we often do, when we get stuck and we're like, this feels hard or awkward or the string crossing, Wow! Um, but then often we're like, okay, wait, how would we sing it? How would we sing this yeah. thing? And so we do practice singing it, even though we are not singers. So like it doesn't end up sounding like excellent but it's um it's enough to give us the idea of like oh right like the voice shows you
2: what the phrasing yeah. would want to be because it, yeah. yeah again it's then it's, it's all about breath it's all about breath yeah it's really true that's well, so nice so nice to hear that you um that you sing in your quartet rehearsals to work out how to make things less awkward oh yeah <laughs> all the time yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, it's really it's a special special experience, and I wish I could. I'd love to work more with string quartet. Yeah, it's a it's just a very special work uh, that I, you know, a recently discovered work that Caroline Shaw that sort of encapsulates what I love about singing with singing with strings.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, she's got many more years of awesome things in her. So yeah. The other thing is when you hear her, the way she writes for voices. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard her passacaglia? Yeah, uh, not passacaglia. Sorry, partita. Yeah, for voices. Yeah, yeah. Um, for which she won the what was it? Pulitzer Prize, right? The Pulitzer Prize for music, yes, which is incredible.
0: To the side. To the side.
2: To the side and around through the middle. To and. the side.
0: To the side.
2: To the side and around through the middle. To and. the side.
0: To the side.
2: The side,
0: to the side and,
2: and around, side. and around. And around and around. To the side. Two, three, four, and five, around. six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint. Two, line, three, three, four, klar, four, the line drawn from the left side. line drawn And around and around and around. around and It's such a cool piece. And the use of, yeah, this sort of homogenous sound. Amongst the choir that she creates is just absolutely thrilling. She understands uh, she understands the voice, but also understands how to write uh, for the voice with other instruments so well. I think it's she's clearly a singer,
1: yeah, and violinist, right? Because also her string quartet writing is clearly like she knows what she's doing when she's writing for the string quartet. As have well.
2: you have you played?
1: Um... I haven't actually played any of her string quartets, but I've heard. I have. Um some good friends who are in a quartet that I heard play uh one of her string quartets last summer Emma Emma was there also and that was yeah it was beautiful and they do I think they've played like a lot of her work and it's like very idiomatic for string quartet and I think just does a really beautiful job of um yeah using all of those kinds of textures and um sounds that you can
0: get exactly yeah yeah, and we saw the partita um, performed with Netherlands Dance Theatres dancing to it.
2: Wow, um, that would have been, been amazing. Ago. I'm a huge Netherlands Dance Theatre fan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it's like the, one of the best things about living in The Hague is you ride 10 minutes down the road and you get like 10 euro use tickets to see Netherlands Dance Theatre. And it is it's-
2: so cool. <laughs> yep. Um, and that was such a mind-blowing night. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. I, I had no idea that there was there was a ballet choreographed to that piece, but it also, yeah, it makes perfect sense. That that would be absolutely perfect. Yeah. For that. It was incredible. Um, yeah. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's, the, it's, it's music that you can see, you know, as well with, with her. And, uh, yeah, especially that piece. It's so theatrical. So, yeah, it just it totally translates to the stage to to movement yeah absolutely to the side to the side to the side and around through the middle to end. the side to the side to the side and around through the middle to end. the side
0: to the side to the side,
2: to the side, and, and side around, and around, and around, and around To the side, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint, have the line drawn from the
1: left side, and around,
2: and around, and around, and around, and around, and around, cảm... and around, and around, and around, and around, and around, right. and brother, and around, and around, and but it, this is a really like, favorite, favorite song of mine from childhood. Um, and yeah, it's called Phoenix and it's by this band called Aquarian Dream. And they were only around uh, for three years in the seventies, this band, um, they were put together or they were started by um, this American jazz drummer, composer, arranger, producer uh, called Norman Connors. but yeah, just an amazing track. Uh, it's a disco classic, it's quite obscure really. Um, I wouldn't, it's not one of those disco tracks that everyone's going to know. Definitely not, but it's, uh, it means a lot to me, uh, because I I grew up with this song. We had a, a very good family friend, um, who was really into disco and obscure disco and funk and bossa Nova as well. And, uh, and made us, uh, my, made my sister and I a like a mixtape, like a, a playlist mixtape. Uh, I can't remember. It probably was even on cassette initially, and then switched to CD. And um, and we named it after one of our cats. We had two Siamese cats uh, called Shiro and Husky. And um, Husky, for some reason, was the name of one of the cats, even though Husky <laughs> is a breed of dog. Dog, but anyway. Yeah. I- <laughs> Uh, and and yeah, so we called this CD Disco Husky, and I remember mum. Uh, my my mum is an artist, and uh, and she she drew like a cartoon uh, Simon's cat on the front. <laughs> and uh, and it, this this CD, I think we probably have the original like the original cassette and CD somewhere lying around. But it just became, you know, you have like playlists or albums or CDs that just become such important things for the family and you just always revisit them and like you know in what order the tracks come you know how it starts and it just it's all still burned into your memories you know and takes you back to that time <laughs> oh, totally totally yeah. totally so yeah and i just have vivid memories of dancing around to this when i was little and um it's just it's just a great track as well it's a it's got amazing vocals in it um and yeah just a lot of fun to sing along to um the the lyrics are just you know quite ridiculous sort of I've got the wings of a phoenix flying high and I've got the style of a phoenix so it's really sort of triumphant yeah this like super super camp 70s disco way which you know when you're when you're eight and you really like glitter I mean that's (laughs) just heaven So that's why that's why I wanted to talk about it, really, because it's just it's just one of those songs that yeah, it's I wish it were more famous, you know, because it is yeah. such a great track. The production is so great; it's rhythmically really interesting. Uh, it has These little breakdowns throughout, and um, yeah, it's just yeah. a good one. I listened to it this morning while making
0: breakfast, and I could
2: not not dance. Like I it just no, you can't happened. not dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, like the whole the whole disco husky thing, as um, that that whole compilation had so much other great music on it, a lot of disco and also some bossa nova, and it kind of informed I think my musical taste in, and interests in a way that I don't think I was expecting at all. You know, like I still really love disco and what disco then brought to the house music thing all of the samples and everything that were used from seventies disco in house music. I, after school, I had a stint, um, working as a uh, working as a host in a nightclub and it was like a really disco centric nightclub. And I just, I just love dancing to disco and and house music that was really inspired by disco. And, um, I mean, like my days of clubbing are very much behind me. Um, but really treasured memories of sort of, of dancing to that. And, and, uh, and I, and I think I just got that, I got that taste for disco when I was eight listening to this song, you know, dancing around my room and, uh, yeah. And that was kind of what, yeah, my, my, when I did have those years of sort of going out dancing, that was, that was what I would always choose to choose to dance to. And I remember, I definitely remember one time, um, being in, uh, one of my favorite clubs in Melbourne and speaking to the DJ who was a friend of mine. And I brought, I sort of said, do you know, Aquarian dream? Do you know this song Phoenix? He was like, Whoa, that's such a deep cut. I haven't like, I've never played this. No one knows it. So like, why would I spin it? And I said, no, please just, just do it. Just give it a go. Wait and see what happens. And sure enough the dance floor absolutely lit up. And it was just this bizarre moment where I was like, okay, I'm 19 or however old I was in a, in a club with my friends dancing to the same song that I used to dance to when I was like seven. So yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, awesome.
1: That's really cool. (laughs) Also, you were talking about it being rhythmically really like fun and interesting. And that was the thing that Emma and I were talking about, about the rest of the music that you brought today is that there's a lot of really cool, intricate rhythmic stuff happening.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, as a singer, I really love to rhythmically challenge myself, and I think that's part of why I also perform so much contemporary music and or and twentieth century music and just unusual things. That really makes me tick, and yeah, I guess that's a, a, a feature in all of the songs um, that I've all of the pieces that I've brought is that yeah. It, it, it's a uh, it, it you can dance to it <laughs>
1: yeah so disco is totally related is what we're saying
2: yeah. yes disco is everything <laughs> it all started with disco yeah Yep.
0: Yeah. well that sounds like a pretty good place to start wrapping it up
1: <laughs> we have a question that we ask everybody at the end of every interview yeah and that is um is there a piece from another instrument's repertoire that you're jealous of
2: oh let me have a think let me have a think um I mean I like there are lots honestly yes. there are so many great <laughs> yeah <sighs> hmm well there are a couple of pieces that spring to mind immediately one of which uh is a viola piece and it's just a beautiful tune um and I it again it's something from childhood in this in the in that I listen to it a lot. I listened to it being practiced a lot, uh, when I was a kid, um, by being practiced by my dad who played the viola and played this piece quite a lot. Uh, it's a piece by Berlioz and it's called Harold in Italy. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece with a beautiful tune. And I think it would just, it would sing very well. You know, it's the kind Mm. of piece that would just it would be a beautiful vocal piece. Obviously it's a viola, it's essentially a a viola concerto, so it should be a viola concerto. There's not enough great music for that that instrument anyway, so I certainly wouldn't want to steal it. But I always find myself singing along to it if I hear it, so that's kind of perhaps one. That's great. Oh, uh, there's one other piece I've been listening to a lot recently that I'm like really obsessed with. I remember discovering it years ago. Um, It's by Bartok. It's the Piano Sonata. Do you know? Oh, it? yes. No. It's really cool. It's really and it has that those really jagged edges, uh, really cool. jagged edges. It's really aggressive and fun and doesn't take itself too seriously, but has this really sen- like this great sense of humor and life. Again, it's not like you can sing that piece, but I would love to be able to sit down at the piano and play that because it's it's yeah. just wild. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Oh, Bartok, so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: love yeah. yeah. Um, and what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Do you have or to support you or um, whatever?
2: That's a lovely question. Um, I am on Facebook. I've got a Facebook artist page. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Lottie Betstein. Um, on Instagram at Dottie Let's Bean. Funny spoonerism there that I now regret um so yeah um but then uh at the I mean at the moment um there are a couple of sort of online things happening um Emma I'm not sure if I think I think you knew about that they did like an online concert in April so that's still available online and um and it is ticketed but um, it also goes to support uh, a fund based in London that's supporting Australian young musicians and dancers. Um, so, so that is that is sort of one way of supporting if if people want to. Um, yeah. And it's it's a collection of it's a recital of songs. Uh, alongside seven musicians um from around the world and it was made in april when we were all very much completely still in lockdown so the whole thing is split screen um now now we can at least be in the same room to perform again but yeah it was it was a huge challenge but it was really fun to fun to put together that was probably the biggest thing i've done during lockdown but um yeah i mean anyone can get in touch uh on on my social media and my website is just lottiebetstein.com and um yeah would be happy to hear from anyone if anyone has any questions or wants to you know make recommendations or anything that would be great
0: yeah cool
2: well we'll put all of those
0: things in our show notes for everyone fab
1: thank you so much for joining us thanks for being here
0: thank you thank you this was really fun
1: so much for tuning in to Outside the Music Box. We hope
0: you enjoyed our chat with Lottie Beth Steen. If so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and tell all your friends about it. It really makes a difference in the algorithm of the internet magic and helps our visibility. And thanks to Joanna Neuschatz for her help with editing. We'd also
1: love to hear from you. If you have any questions or want to share music that you love, you can write to us at concerts.musicbox at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Music Box
0: Concerts. Write in with comments or questions and we'll get back to you. In the show notes, we've included links to three Spotify playlists, one specifically for the pieces in this episode and the others for all the pieces we've talked about on this podcast so far. However, we really encourage you to purchase music in order to support the artists. The best way to support Lottie is by going to her website, lottiebetstein.com, which we've also linked in the show notes, or following her on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you next time outside the music box.